Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, how to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, how to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Welcome to the 29th episode of Why Are People Into That? The podcast that makes eye contact, glances at your crotch, makes eye contact again, back to the crotch, raises its eyebrows, and nods almost imperceptibly towards the nearest dark alley. I'm your host, Tina Horn, and I am frankly beside myself to introduce comedian Kevin Allison, who I've admired for a long time, to the show today. Before I do, I just want to say thank you to everyone who has sent me love following the raid on the rentboy.com offices on August 25th. I am devastated, but free. In a way, two jobs were taken from me that day because I can't really give you my journalistic hot take on the situation. In fact, I shouldn't really be talking to you about it at all. Luckily, my community is fucking righteous, and you can read many of their hot takes on my blog at whyarepeopleintothat.com. Please remember that sex worker rights are human rights. And to quote Justin Vivian Bond, sex workers in our culture need to be protected, respected, and applauded, not harassed and shamed. Speaking of my community, Smitten Kitten continues to support this podcast, and I couldn't be more proud to direct you to smittenkittenonline.com for all of your sex toy and sex resource needs. When you're headed to check out with a digital armful of erotica and leather restraints, enter the word Y, that's W-H-Y, to get 20% off your order. One excellent way to support sex worker rights is to buy the books we write about our real-life experiences instead of letting white Hollywood actresses tell you about shit they don't fucking understand. One such book is my book. Love Not Given Lightly, which has just been out for a few months, and is about me, but also about a bunch of other sex workers, including people who used to advertise on rentboy.com and now cannot. Alright, so pick out your hanky and head down to the docks for Why Are People Into Cruising? Um, thank you for, I, I feel this weird like power imbalance because it's your setup. I'm very used to being like, well, here's my recorder. And now I'm like taking your 
voice into my little device, but now you, you could like hold this hostage. And... Oh, that's true. <laughs> yeah, no, you know, I've done that before. I've been on podcasts before where someone else was recording me. I did Mark Marin's once, I and he accidentally love, love destroyed the file right in front of me. Oh, God. But you know, it turned out to be a great thing because he had me back like a year and a half later, mm. and we did more or less the same interview. Yeah. Except now he was comfortable with all the kinky stuff. That's cool. Yeah. I, I listened. I listened to that. I listened to that show. Oh, good. Good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I really love it. Um, yeah. And uh, I, uh, I, I enjoyed. He's such a good sport, you know. Like you were making him squirm, but he. <laughs> um, I, I really appreciate how open-minded he is, actually. Like, yeah. even about things that make him uncomfortable. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think that... Uh, and I think that's part of, like, yours and my job, mm -hmm. you know, is to invite people in a friendly way toward those, you know, yeah. frontiers. Yeah. <laughs> put a, put a, friendly, a friendly face on things that have scared people. Yeah. yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, so, you put a friendly face on things that scare people uh, <laughs> uh, for a living. Uh, you're a comedian. You're on a show that I watched religiously um, when it was on MTV, uh, The State. Um, and, uh, and then over the past... Uh, decade and a half or so you've um been doing a lot of comedy and a lot of storytelling and you mm -hmm. have your own podcast the risk podcast which mm -hmm. i'm sure most of my listeners listen to as well <laughs> um and and you also do like storytelling workshops and you just started doing a um like an online workshop right yeah yeah i have a, so risk is my main company we do live shows all over the place and there's the podcast but then i created something called the story studio and so it's all storytelling workshops for either business people or people who want to perform on stage. Mm -hmm. And we've just created a an online class that you can kind of take in your own time at your own pace. Or no matter where you are in right, the world, right? right That's exactly. really cool. It's called Intro to Storytelling Wow Your Crowd. There's a baby dying in the room <laughs> next door. <laughs> Did you hire that baby to scream right at that perfect moment? <laughs> For our soundtrack. Um, and, and it's all at thestorystudio.org. Cool, cool. And uh, and Risk is, what's the website for Risk? Risk is at risk-show.com. Cool. And that's been going on since 2009? Yes. Risk is uh, about six years old now. And it's, it's a little bit like The Moth. It's a storytelling show. But the whole idea is that nothing is off bounds. Like... People can tell hilarious stories. Sometimes they're absolutely shocking and horrifying. Uh, sometimes they're very profoundly moving. But it's stuff that they couldn't play on NPR because mm. it's so raw and yeah. real. Uh, so yeah, people love the way that Risk kind of goes anywhere. I, I definitely love that about it. Yeah. Um, and I can definitely remember probably actually on WTF, but also on your show, hearing you talking about uh, how much, maybe even just back in the day, you loved cruising. Oh my God, yes. <laughs> I, you know, when I first came to New York, because when I was a kid, yeah. I knew I was gay 
like from the beginning of consciousness, yeah. you know, like when I was, I, I always joke that my first thought I remember having was, I like boys' butts. <laughs> and that I, that's been every other thought that I've had since that afternoon. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, I was pursuing the boy next door uh, when we were both still in diapers. Mm. And I've been told about it by his mother. Mm. <laughs> oh my God. Um, and... So, I grew up in Cincinnati, Ohio, which is very Republican. Yeah. Uh, you know, a lot of Republican money is in Cincinnati. And very segregated. And very, very devoutly Catholic, mm. I was raised. So That's not a formula for repression yeah, at right, all. Exactly, yeah, right. Exactly. Right. Now, my parents were politically liberal. You know, mm. politically, like... You know, my father marched in the civil rights movement and everything like that. Cool. But but when it came to sex, they were definitely from the 1950s. You know, yeah. my mom was very... I, the day, I remember when I was 12, I was wondering, when can I finally... You know, 12 is such a funny age to be thinking finally. But I was like, when can I finally come out to my mom? And that same day, Marvin Gaye was on the radio singing Sexual Healing because it was 1982. And she walked in and she said, when this song comes on the radio, the radio goes off. Oh, no. And I was like, uh, it's not going to be anytime soon. Marvin Gaye. So when I came to New York, uh, when was I was that? 18, in 1988, and I was going to NYU, mm. I came out of the closet to my parents one month before going to NYU because I, I planned it. I was like, look. It's going to take so much work to get all the scholarships and student loans arranged that they're not going to want to pull the plug. Yes. <laughs> that's, that's brilliant. That's brilliant. So I came out and they were like, okay. And it was funny because I, I, I literally came out by using, inde I wrote it on index cards, a, oh. a coming out speech. And I did not take my eyes off the card the whole time I was reading it to them. Oh and God. the end of it was questions you might have and answers. <laughs> so it was you know, quite frequent, like, like almost like frequently asked questions. And the last one was, here's the name of a psychiatrist in case you guys need help with this. Very thorough. <laughs> Loving. That's very conscientious, right? Right. And my dad was just like, oh my God, that is so amazing that you're like not suggesting we send you to a psychiatrist. Mm. You're suggesting we go see one if we have a problem. Oh my God. So, you know, I went, when I went to NYU, I was a horny little, little guy. And my, fir my very first week in New York, I overheard some guys in the musical theater wing of uh, the Tisch School of the Arts. Yeah. I, I wasn't there for musical theater. I was there for film, but I just happened to be hanging out in that hallway that day, and I heard these two guys saying, oh, there's this bar where all the guys from Columbia University go up at West 82nd Street. Yeah. And I always joke that, like, okay, in my first week, I clearly wasn't that clever because I'm right in the middle of Greenwich Village, and I'm like, <laughs> oh, I guess gay guys gather. You're like, I'll go uptown. <laughs> makes total sense. So I went uptown, and I went to this bar. It was called The Works, and paid $5, and they give you a little bracelet, and you can drink all the Paps Blue Ribbon you want. But what I hadn't anticipated was that there was all this 
competitive energy in hmm. the room, right? Uh, it, it, because I had grown up terrified of straight guys and their competitive energy right around things sports yes yeah. especially sports even monopoly and stuff like sure. that and also dating yeah 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 just you were right yeah com competing with one another like oh i did this with this girl right right yada, right yada. which right. you weren't participating in exactly yeah so to walk into a room for the first time where there's all these men kind of staring at each other in a way like oh you're mine or oh get away from him he's mine was frightening to me. I because was it was it exciting? Was it a turn off? It was. It was not. It, it was scary to me because I was like, "Holy shit! A lot of gay guys are really good looking." You know what I mean? <laughs> a lot of these guys are really well put together. I was, you know, there, there was an article in New York Magazine once that said Kevin Allison uh, was born with the queer but not the eye. <laughs> None of that sense of style or anything. So yeah, no, I was intimidated. I, I was I just mean, like New York is just like that. Yeah, New York exactly. Yeah. New York is very much like but that. But also you had never probably been in a space where you could pretty much be guaranteed that every man that you were looking at was gay. Yes. And so it was just a matter of Okay, so which one of them do I find attractive? And then from there, which one would find me attractive? And can I make it work? You'd never, you know, you're 18, 19 years old, never had that experience, right? Exactly. And you know what it was? It was the way it, what I realized later, because where that night took me, it was the way the place was lit, you know, that here was this place which was pretty brightly lit and people were putting on such a good face you know mm. also it was incredibly white and collegiate mm. and i had, had had not yet started to put together that i'm naturally drawn to people of color mm. right i was just so new to everything so basically what happened was i kept saying to myself oh i'll talk to that guy oh, i'll talk to that guy and then just not getting up the nerve to do it until i was so drunk <laughs> that I had to leave. I had to escape this bar. I was kind of like a a bear on a unicycle, kind of tottering out. Were you there. by yourself? Did you have? To oh, I was by you? myself. Yeah. I was by myself. And at this point, it's probably about three o'clock in the morning. Yeah. And I'm 18 years old. It's you know my first week at NYU, and I'm like, uh, okay, that was a failure. That was okay. You know, I, it's my first time in a gay a bar, right? Exactly. So let's just sober up and and get the get the subway home. But then I looked across the street and I saw this big blank space where. As a new New Yorker, I was like, wait a minute. When you look across the street anywhere, there's buildings. What's that blank space? And I was like, oh my God, that must be Central Park. <laughs> I was that new to New York. I had no idea like how big Central Park was or where it was. Yeah. Um, and indeed, it was Central Park. Yeah. And I was like, haven't I heard rumors that gay men congregate there in the park and have anonymous sex? Of course they do, but... That happens at a very... I mean, it's a huge, it's huge. park. It's really big. It's really big. So maybe at like 86, uh, like Central Park West, maybe maybe not. You're like, you're like wandering around by like Alice in Wonderland statue and you're like, is that... Where, where are they? Where is everybody? 
So what I decided was, I, I went into the park. You know, this is... The, what's so fun about being young, and I think that now that I'm, I've, I've just started sobering up Ooh, and, you know, yeah, and getting healthy, eating healthy food and all that kind of thing. Raw vegan pizza. Right. <laughs> so much of my stories are about this, this very, these young adventures, you know, um, and I think in my, in, now that I'm 45, I'm looking at, well, how can I continue having young adventures, but mm. not being so stupid as to be like, for example, walking into Central Park at four o'clock in the morning. Oh yeah, but that's, that's the time to do it. Cause otherwise you're going to look back and be like, oh, exactly. what would have happened if exactly. I'd walked into that second largest, lar is it the largest park in, probably. in America? I have no, uh, no, it's probably not the largest. Uh, I think that might even be Prospect Park. Is Prospect Park bigger than Central Park? I think Park? it might be. Do people cruise in Prospect Park? They must. I think they must too. Yeah. 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 You know, there should be an app for all the cruising spots. It you know, it should be like Happy Cow for vegans. Well, like, where gonna, where do people cruise around? I here? mean, I was gonna say though. I mean, it is funny that in the late '80s that you would not leave the bar and just whip out your phone and start looking at Grinder and oh, finding yeah. people in even in Central Park who are on Grindr, like a cruiser. Anyway, we can talk about how Grindr and Scruff and things have changed cruising, but, but oh, let's, yeah. but so, so did, so you went into the park that night? I went to the park and I said, look, I don't know where gay men do congregate. It's called the Ramble, but I, I didn't know that at the time and I didn't know where it was, but I said, look, it's four o'clock in the morning. It's dangerous to be in the park. Everyone knows that. So if a man is walking through the park, he's probably either on his way to a forest sex party or from one, so I'll just hook up with him. So I just hid in the bushes and thought that I would kind of shake the leaves if a guy walked past. And sure enough, oh my God. sure enough, in about 10 minutes of sitting there, a guy comes down the... the the walkway it's kind of like foggy like like in a london in a charles dickens movie or something <laughs> and he's where he's dressed really nice with a briefcase so i'm like ah, i don't know is he wearing brooks brothers or something he looks not like he's going to a forest sex party but let's give it a shot yeah you never know so i start you know just rustling around a little to let him know i'm there he stops he takes a good look like is that is that a dude in the bushes and you would think that he would say, yes, that is a dude in the bushes. Okay, I'm getting out of here. He's crazy. No. No. He was like, that is a dude in the bushes. It might be time to get our dicks out. And so sure enough, I blew this guy right there. Wow. Uh, Wait, can you, can you be more specific about, like, did you make eye contact? Did yes. you say something? Yes. Did, yes. You did you gesture? Like, because that's, that's the important thing that... If you do have experience cruising a lot, gay men have more experience with it and more opportunity to like learn all of these signals than yeah. I think a lot of other people. But you know, even um, it's that's the part that always gets skipped over in the story. So I want you to be more specific. Right. It's like, and now all of a sudden, the, I was giving him a blowjob. It's like, wait, yeah, yeah. how did how did that part happen? <laughs> you know, it's so funny because and that part is so hot. Oh yeah, it's it's you know even I, if the blowjob is mediocre, the like excitement of oh, that of God, like yeah. realizing like yes, this is happening right now in this park. Because what it is is that 
you're, you're a little bit like animals in the wild, right? right. You, you see each other and you're trying... Oh, Hi! Here's my cat, speaking of animals in the wild. Are you us? <laughs> um, you see each other and there's a little bit of fear mm. in both of your eyes so as excited. well as a little bit of attraction because you don't know if this might be a gay basher, yeah. for example. Or or just someone who would have zero interest in you that you're about to approach and they would be like, what the fuck are you doing? You right, know? which could be embarrassing. Right. So there's a matter of kind of lingering on each other's eyes and kind of creeping closer to each other, which was exactly what myself and this guy did. He was a, he was a good-looking businessman, um, probably in his 30s, and looked like kind of a no-nonsense guy. But he's looking at me and seeing that I'm just kind of hanging out there, not saying anything, and kind of looking at him. And just the look, there's, it's almost indefinable. There's something in the eyes where you're like, oh, we're both wondering if the other might want to do something. And after it's lasted long enough and one hasn't simply turned away, right. uh, then it's kind of, well, who's, who's going to serve who or that sort of thing. Right. And I think that because I was 18 and felt like... Uh, I don't know. I just think I felt naturally in a submissive position right mm. there that uh, I should initiate like getting down on my knees because I, you know, this is a, this guy seemed like a New Yorker and I was just a kid in school. You know I'm what sure I mean? I'm sure it was really, really a huge sacrifice for you to get that, <laughs> that dick in your mouth. Wait, had you had, was that the first time that you had sex with a man? No, no, no. I had done stuff in high school with, okay. you know, that with the, the weird shit where it's like, oh, we were so drunk last night, you know? That. Totally, totally. <laughs> that's, that's its own, that's, that's hot in its own way, but. Uh, right, right. But yeah, that's really, that's so interesting. Yeah. And so, and, uh, uh so you blew him and then, uh, he just kind of like put himself together and walked away. Yes, and I was still so drunk, you know, like it took a lot of, like, the, the one thing that's a little, the reason that some of these details about, you know, the looks in eyes and things like that might be a little hazy is because, you know, back then I would get so drunk just to deal, you right, know, with totally. being so new to being gay and all that kind of thing. Uh, and social anxiety, you know, I think that, a lot of kids, a lot of straight kids, when they're in junior high, yeah. start to get to work with, oh, how attractive am I? Oh, what are people doing to attract the gender they're after, et cetera, et cetera. Totally. Whereas I felt like I was, you know, just starting while in college, you know. So uh, I was very, you know, insecure about being in the realm of other gay men. Insecure with the male gaze and at the same time totally fascinated by it. And, to you know, it, it is interesting that we mentioned that fear thing because yeah. there have been times that I've been at a gay bar that was, you know, very poorly lit or whatever and where it had a very cruisy atmosphere. And I would catch myself in the mirror. I, I, even, I even cruised myself once <laughs> by accident. Oh, my God. That's um, fucking funny. Yeah, yeah. It was it was at a, a, a place called. You're like that guy's looking right at me. Yeah. <laughs> Piercing blue eyes. 
But one of the things that I always notice is that there's a little bit of fear in the eyes. Yeah. Kind of like a deer caught in the headlights. Right. Like, oh, uh, you might shoot me or you might hug me. You know what I mean? <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. So, the, what, what, then what then happened was a friend, I, I fell into, you know, skip a few months, basically. Sure. How did you feel? Did you go home like... Fuck yeah. Oh no, it was so funny because I laid down in the bushes <laughs> to like to rest a while and then fell asleep. Oh and, my god. And when I woke up, someone had taken my sneakers. Oh my god. I, I can't you can't leave that part of the story out. Yeah, That's fucking no, hilarious. I think a homeless person a homeless person must have found my sneakers and made away with them. So it's about five in the five o'clock in the morning, I run down to the subway. Yeah. And the train is coming and I'm like, oh my God, I've got to get on this train because yeah. the next one might not come for an hour considering how early in the morning it is. Yeah. So as the train is whirring to a stop, all of a sudden I realize, oh my God, here's that nausea from all the drunkenness again. Yeah. The door goes boom, boom and opens up and I exploded with vomit into oh, the car. Oh my God, you were that guy. I was that guy. Barefoot. <laughs> Barefoot. Oh. Then I jumped in and slipped on it and oh. fell There were like six people on that car and I just waved at them like, oh hello, it's me. Uh, so yeah, so that was a complete So you felt mess. great is what you're trying to right, say. Right, right, right. Very satisfied. When I first told that story on Risk, I, I did make it so that the guy did run away and we didn't have that blowjob because I thought, well, this is a story of failure. You know, it's like mm. it, it gets messier and messier and messier and it's fun to show me failing but also I wasn't sure how much we could actually say on risk yet you know I wasn't sure how much the audience could really take um, so now I tell it like I originally did and then end it by saying by the way that was one of the first stories I've ever shared on risk and there's a lie right in the middle of it hmm. because I blew that guy and then it brings the house down oh my god, <laughs> oh my god that's, that is amazing so what then? What yeah. The, so then, what exactly? I, like, how how did you? How did it become a I hobby? I started getting into the gay club at NYU, but it was very sterile yeah. feeling. The gay club, gay, lesbian, bisexual, trans club that there was at that time around 1988, 89 at NYU. There just wasn't much happening, so I started my own. I started my <laughs> own called Out Artists. Oh at God. the Tisch School of the Arts. And that's how I made my posse of friends. All, you know, young, you know, people who were going to Tisch or just people who loved the arts. And so we were a much more fun group of friends than I found at the main, main LGBT group uh, at NYU. And one night, my friend Derek said to me, because do you, have, do you remember the limelight the Limelight was a club in New York in the 90s okay. that had been a church that, that was an old Gothic, like maybe Episcopalian church. Where was it? It's on, is it's it, still, it still there, there and now it's, of course, it's like a high-end high uh, retail store. Okay. Um, but it, it's, of course, the exterior still looks like a big old church. Um, but in the 90s, it was a dance club, and Thursday nights was gay night there. And what was, a, and Derek, my friend, tells me, hey, 
What a lot of people don't know, even gay guys who go to the limelight don't know that there's a secret passageway close to the entrance into the dance realm where if you go through that door, it looks like you're all of a sudden going to be like, uh, you know, lost in a closet. But you can walk up the spiral staircase, oh, up yeah. the steeple of the church. It's kind of rickety, like in vertigo, right? Oh, it's kind of like, oh my, am I going to fall through one of these steps? But at the top is where they used to keep the bell in the bell tower. Oh, and dudes have sex up there. And I was like, oh my god, I have got to get up into that bell tower. Amazing. <laughs> Amazing. So, because I've never had... Another way I'm a totally bad gay is I've never had any interest in dancing. So I, <laughs> I used to go to the limelight just to go up into the bell tower. Oh my god. You're like, I'm going getting, getting straight to business here. So the first time I went in there, it was so exciting because... It, it was it was very dark. The only light was like the moonlight coming in from you know whatever the the windows. Yeah. Um, oh, it's beautiful. Yeah, yeah. It was kind of like atmospheric that way, and it had this real smell of like men's sweat mm. and men's sweat and cum and lube like you could smell a lot of i don't know whatever the fresh smell of lube was in there so the, all that kind of that concoction i guess, I guess they also might call it a santorum right <laughs> santorum smell santorum smell um well it was kind of intoxicating to me and there was this young man there who you know how it is when you're in the dark. When you're in the dark, it's like, it, to, in my mind, it was River Phoenix. You know, I was like, oh my God, it's, this kid looks like River. Um, it was just this blonde kid. And he was preoccupied with someone in front of him. Someone was giving him a blowjob or something like that. And I was like, I wonder if he'd mind if I just went down below and get, and you know gave him a Chances rim job are. from behind so services yes i did i did and and see i have all, like rimming is like my giantist uh, obsession I, it's just my favorite thing in the world yeah. love it love it and that was my first time my wow. first time rimming someone was this river phoenix boy and I just, I don't know. It's just one of those things that makes me happy it's just to remember it. a very sweet story. Yeah, because what happened was I, st I went down, I pulled his cheeks apart and started licking at him. And he looked, he looked back around like, what's going on behind me? As if, you know, he might be thinking for a moment, should I shoo this person away? Right. But then he saw my face look up at him and he was like, yeah, I like this dude eating my ass. <laughs> <laughs> so I was in heaven. And... What I soon learned is that is the way it works in the male-to-male -male realm of, of cruising in anonymous sex places. If you don't like someone, you can pretty, you can pretty aggressively shove them out of the way. Yeah. You, can, you can just wipe their hand out of the way rather brusquely. Yeah. And if they, if they keep pursuing you... You can kind of hit their hand out of the way, you yeah. know, um, to say, no, you should have understood me the first time. Just yeah. get away from me. 
Um, oh, and if it never gets to that, if it never gets to physical contact, you can just nod like, no, no, not you. You yeah. know what I mean? Yeah. Um, so it was very interesting to be in this realm where you, where rejection was that quick and simple right and then after a while you probably just kind of get used to it's like not that big a deal like exactly. oh, not you oh well on to this other guy exactly right. it's probably good for building confidence if you like really start throwing yourself into it you know it's really interesting because to me i always have historically looked back on it as that it became a little bit too much of a crutch yeah because then what happened was what happened that very first night at the works yeah. became the pattern of my life. By the time that I was out of college and a young gay guy on TV even, yeah. my friends would joke, Kevin will be here for one or two drinks, 15 minutes, 20 minutes, and then he's going for some anonymous sex. We're, we're not going to see Kevin very much this night yeah. because he's going to end up in the dark room or just heading straight to a sex club and that's not th that's what that's called is social anxiety it, it, right. it's it's that i didn't want to be having conversations with people because that made me so scared whereas in the realm of cruising if someone didn't like me it was over in a flash of a second and there was someone else to, to focus on right uh right next to them you know so yeah it became a little bit of a crutch and you know, I, I, th there's another story I tell about going to the Bijou. The Bijou was a place across the street from the Boiler Room. The Boiler Room is still there, and I think the Bijou is too, but it used to be the Rolling Stones owned this underground space. Supposedly, they owned it mostly for just going doing heroin when they were in town. I mean, you know, they needed a they needed a spot for that. But apparently there was often rock and roll kinds of parties that would happen down there and then was hella fun. Yeah. And then when the Stones sold the place, I guess, it became a gay club, which by the time I got there in 19, you know, in the late eight, around 1989 or so, it was known as the Bijou. Um, because they showed movies, you know, mm -hmm. like, yeah, like a good, like a fancy French movie theater as if it's anything like that. <laughs> um, but it was, it was one of those, it was one of those sex clubs that has tons and tons of r tiny little closet sized rooms mm. because there were laws, uh, and I think they're still in effect that a place that charges a public for a public ticket, right? people shouldn't be having sex out in the open. There's plenty of semi-private sex parties that happen that, of course, right. do that. And that's always more fun, if you ask me. Totally. Um, but a lot of the gay clubs in that roundabout the Giuliani era dealt with it by having tons right. of little closet-sized rooms. <laughs> um and I remember the night I discovered the Bijou, I was at the boiler room with my friends across the is street. Is that in Chelsea? Uh, you no, know, the boiler room is East 4th off of 2nd Avenue. Oh, okay. Yeah. And uh, when a friend told me about the Bijou, again, I, I literally said to him, oh, well, that sounds so much more convenient than standing over here having conversations. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Which is just such a terrible attitude. <laughs> but... Um, 
Yeah, that, that, that I went home that night, uh, uh, that first night that I went to the Bijou with a guy who made me tie my shoes to my balls, which oh. at the time I knew nothing, nothing at all about kink, BDSM, pain, any of that. So it was just pure crazy to me. I was like, right. what? Especially because he didn't have a game plan afterwards. He was on coke and just wanted to masturbate in the corner of the room while he watched me stand there with shoes tied to my balls, which now <laughs> I do for fun. You right, know, like right. I'm like, that, that, actually, that is kind of fun. You know, I, I, I'm tied to Doc Martens to my balls nowadays. <laughs> yes. <laughs> That's a sign. <laughs> Growth. Um, <laughs> but let's see. Let's see. You know, over the years, what was fascinating to me, what's, what was really exciting, was how I could sometimes bring that anonymous cruising thing yeah. into just the regular world. Um, Tell me more about that. That's really interesting. One of the most exciting ever was, I was a, I was a cater waiter. So i was probably this was probably about when i was 27 or so yeah uh and i was dressed in a tuxedo but i happened to have a fresh bottle of poppers in my tuxedo pants because <laughs> <Right. laughs> i had planned on maybe going out after work but then i decided no it's too late i should go home so i'm waiting I think for an F train or something like that at the 14th Street subway, round about the Union Square Street subway. And uh, there's this Italian guy, very kind of like rocky kind of guy, you know, like... Italian like, stallion? Yeah, exactly. Very kind of like beefy, in a, in a, but in a fit way. With a kind of like Saturday Night Fever vibe about him, but he's in an, a, a jumpsuit. He's he's a transit worker, right? Oh, he's, yes. he's in like a greased up jumpsuit for you know because he's been working with wrenches down in the subway. That's not hot at all. Oh my god! So the two of us. I'm just waiting for the train. And you're in a white tuxedo. No, I'm in a black okay, tuxedo. Okay. Right, right, right. And he, it's, yeah, so I'm in a tuxedo. He's he's all greased up in a. In a oh in my a, god! Yeah, and and I notice that we're both looking at each other. And at first, I don't give it a second thought because I'm like, I, I, it's just not in my brain. Yeah, that you're someone tired. Like, yeah. And he's he that just re, the way he's dressed and everything just reads straight to me. But then I realize, oh no, there's this thing in the eyes. Mm. There's this thing happening between us, and. So I can let it linger. I let my eyes linger on him and we are both definitely checking each other out. And it's scary because he might bash me, but right. he's, he's hot. And so all of a sudden he makes a quick move with his head like, come over this way. And I was like, okay. Again, this was like three o'clock in the morning so there weren't sure. people around. Yeah. And he's got keys to go into this little like fenced in area that's like very dark oh my god um where they keep like i don't know extra tools or whatever to work down in the tracks right 
And so he lets us in. I, anyone still could have totally seen us. Yeah, yeah. It's just that no one would think to look over there. You know what I mean? Right, right, in the right. shadows. So, again, he unzips. He lets out his cock. It was a big, fat cock. Ah! Uncircumcised and everything. And I, I, rem- I all I remember is I was like... Because you usually don't have conversation. And that's the part... That rubs me the wrong way a little bit because mm. I just tend to be such a conversing kind of person. Right. And I want something to go off That's, of. Isn't that so interesting because you are sort of running away from the intimacy and vulnerability of conversation, <laughs> but then also kind of feeling like that that was lacking, <laughs> that that was what you maybe were after. It's so true. It's so funny how we have these... Like, like, like these magnetic poles in us. Yeah. You do put me in a cruising situation, and all of a sudden, I'm the one who's being a little bit not playing by the rules. Right. There was one time. It, well, I'll get back. No, no, no. Oh, okay, oh, okay, okay. So okay, the guy, yeah, yeah, so he yeah, pulls yeah, yeah. out his big Italian cock. <laughs> I'm not gonna let you leave me hanging. Okay. So I did ask him, I was like, where are you from? Because, because the, the, the main reason I wanted to converse with guys like that is if this seems really hot, let's see if we can make it happen again. Right. You know? I mean, I think that for a lot of guys, the realm of cruising is an area in the unconscious, you know? But I, I had a therapist once who said, oh, when you go into these cruising sort of situations, there might as well be a sign above the door where you're leading that says, Abandon hope all ye who enter here. Oh, please. And I was like, that sounds pretty moralistic. I was like, "Could what do you mean? And she's like, well, okay, let's put it in a less moralistic way. Let's say you're going into the shadow world. And I was like, yeah, where, where the rules don't really apply. And so for a lot of guys... They don't. They don't want to say where they're from or what their name is or anything right, like right, that right. because they don't want there to be any kind of record of this. They want this to be maybe something that maybe they'll half or half not even remember themselves later. You know, it's interesting. It seems like I mean, your therapist being judgmental about it and like comparing it to hell is um, is interesting because obviously. For a lot of people, there's a lot of shame. Obviously, a lot of people cruise because they're closeted, yeah. which might be really hot to hook up. You know, who knows if this uh, Italian stallion guy in the subway was, like, you know, straight in his normal life and then, you know, takes advantage of this access that he has to, right. to cruise. Like, who knows? Or maybe you found out. I don't know. But there's obviously lots of people like that, and that can be... I mean that's its own genre of porn, right? Yeah, like yeah, like yeah. the the straight guy who is, you know, either by coercion oh, or curiosity or whatever. Um so like sometimes there is shame and repression that uh that leads people to pursue cruising and having sex in that way, no strings attached, anonymous sex. But also Obviously, there's its own appeal that doesn't necessarily have to be about that. There's its own the excitement of the danger, the excitement of not having to think about, you know, yes, maybe avoiding intimacy, but also avoiding like maybe stuff that you don't really want or that you're not offering like yeah. uh, like emotional availability, right? And then you can just the two people who just want 
sex and excitement can come together and have that and not have any pretense of something else. Right. That, that this that this moment is just allowed to be purely right. sexual. Uh, like, yeah, truly no strings attached. So I did, but I did. I said, where are you from? Yeah. And, and I'll never forget. He said, I'm from Kanasi. <laughs> <laughs> Of course. So, and that's the extent of our, our, our conversation, that he was from Canarsie. Because when he did say I'm from Canarsie, uh, it, it, it occurred to me, I was just like, oh, we're not going to, we're not going to exchange numbers. Yeah. We, we're from, we're from two, he really is like Rocky, we are from two different worlds. Yeah. Um, Let so. me ask you, when, because a lot of the guys that you've talked about, you've talked about like the guy that looks like Sylvester Stallone, the guy that looks like River Phoenix, the like sexy businessman. Like it seems like all of these people were were attractive to you, mm-hmm. and then in some places were probably better lit than others, and beer goggles like more than others, yeah. right? But I'm curious how important it is to you, and maybe also, um, do you get a sense how important it is to other people that the person that you're cruising that you actually find them physically attractive like that they're your type or are you just like looking for a willing hole well you know what happened is one of the things that's really fascinating to me about being a kinkster is you can go down rabbit holes you know you can you can you can open up pandora's boxes and be like how did i get here how did i end up so obsessed with this that or the other yeah so I started I started at a certain point I had enough money from television and stuff like that yeah. where I was like I'll just go to the West Side Club which was the most expensive of the gay clubs cruising clubs. Mm. Uh, so this place like had saunas and it had all the closet sized rooms but the closet sized rooms had beds and you know etc. Et Marble staircases <laughs> yeah. Somebody like waiting with like to spray your lube. <laughs> so for years I went there. I, I, I found myself at a certain point in my life where I was like look if I am such a horny bastard, if I am the kind of guy who loves to have lots and lots of sex, I should probably find a partner amongst the people who like to have lots and lots of sex. That's the dream. Right. Yeah. So why not strike up conversations with people at the West Side Club? I mean, people. some people, especially the guys on, on drugs, are there like all day. And they are ready to talk, I'm sure, if they're <laughs> on designer <laughs> drugs and like... Early 90s. <laughs> well, it's interesting. I mean, I think that aftercare, going back to aftercare, um, you know, you weren't necessarily doing anything like sadomasochistic or like dominant and submissive per se, but like all kinds of sex can really use good, a- I mean, making out can use some good aftercare. It's and true. also, like, an, it to a certain degree, anonymous sex. Is, is its own in kind of intensity that you need to be brought back from for the reason that we were also just talking about, that you are kind of going into this like other realm where the rules, the normal rules of society don't apply. Yeah. And having, being able to find people who can like bring you back and right. like acclimate you, right. you know, and kind of like bring you down from that, um, you know, kind of uh, like psychedelic uh, yeah. kind of state that you get, can get into. I remember leaving the West Side Club and I, this was about the time that I was in therapy yeah. with that woman that I mentioned earlier. 
I would make a point of turning on a tape recorder and saying how I felt just after leaving the club hmm. because it was so surreal to yeah. walk right back out into the sunshine or into the night or whatever and just see the rest of the world operating and feel like wow I was just I, I just kind of was just spat out of a place where yeah. the vibe was so incredibly different um, and men are probably mostly socialized to think that they wouldn't need to have that kind of care that they right. should just be able to have the sex get off and then like go get a slice of pizza yeah right right, right. that's why at places like the west side club there was always someone from gmhc with a table full of uh, condoms and literature uh who was like making a point of saying hi how you doing to everyone coming in and leaving that's awesome to be like you know I am someone who you can communicate with, you know? Yeah. That's great. Yeah. That's great. Yeah. Especially during that time, I'm sure. Yeah. 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 Um, I'm curious if you think that it's possible for, you, you mentioned like finding one person to like have all of the hot sex with instead of having all the hot sex with all the different people. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I want Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well. HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. I wonder if you think it's possible to create the kind of excitement of anonymous sex or or cruising with someone that you know and trust like can you for example negotiate a cruising scene with someone and and enter into it both consensually and find that same excitement and rush of danger and rush of like going into this other realm that you can when the stakes are more literal I would absolutely love to find a situation like that. I mean, and I know that, you know, a lot of the the people that I admire so much, people like Reed Mahalko and Allison Moon, Melina Williams, a lot of my friends in the kink community um, are very playful people. Yeah. Are people who are very game to, well, what the heck, let's try try this on for size today. yeah um they've all been on this podcast yeah, yeah. well you know i think that i, I but all, they're, they're also all partnered you know like 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 right. uh, uh uh you know melina said to me a long time ago that she realized that as a as a kinkster and as as someone who was publicly known to be a kinkster and was kind of making a career out of it right that that everyone else that was that she knew seemed to be partnered mm. and that, that to have a home base with a significant other uh, just made all the branching out and trying different things with different people easier because there was someone to report home to you know yeah. I, I was in an open relationship for nine years um, 
And we were really good about communication. We would we would talk before and after we were with some. We we never did something together mm. um, because unfortunately. I found myself being so attracted to Asian men, and he found himself so attracted to redheaded men <laughs> that our taste didn't, you know, like, like it, it would have been perfect if we could have found another couple that was an Asian guy and a redhead. Right, you know? right. <laughs> no, that's so funny. In nine years of being in an open relationship, you never uh, did, like, play together. We always played together. separately. We, yeah. we, we either had sex as the two of us or off with other people and then report back to each other. Um, and we were very good about the communication, and it, it, it re- I, I sometimes say spoiled me, you know, because yeah. after nine years of an open relationship, I simply didn't feel it felt like such a natural fit to me. Yeah, that I mean, I've never had a monogamous really because that was really my first and only long term relationship. Mm. So. I would love to find a partner who a significant other. You know, that's kind of my dream right now. And I would hope that it would be someone who was game to try new things on a fairly regular basis because I think that too many couples kind of lose the spark with things because they're doing the same things all the time. Right. And you know, some of these experiments that you can, some of, like, for example, I think I mentioned it earlier, the first time I found myself, you know, blindfolded and tied up and submitting to someone yeah, was such a revelation for me. And it was, I was 41 years old and I had never done anything like that before. And I was just like, oh, this yeah. is really, really working for me on some primal level, you yeah. know? Yeah, 50 million um, Elvis fans can't be wrong. Yeah, exactly, right? <laughs> exactly. Or, or like water sports, you know, like yeah. uh, having someone pee in my mouth for the first time was just like, oh! You're like, <laughs> I've been giving it away for free all these years. Just, yeah, I mean... Yeah, so- and something like that that's just so ordinary every day all of a sudden becomes so charged. Yeah, and, and like it just hadn't even... Uh, for some reason, it hadn't occurred to me before that I could do that, you yeah. know, until this guy was like, hey, I want to piss in your mouth, and I'm super into him, so I'm like, yeah, you can do whatever the hell you want, you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, I do, I do. Um, so, yeah, moments like those are are so exciting that I would love to find a partner who was into that, who was into exploring that way. Um, you know what I worry about? I spend so much time... I have so many hang-ups. Like, I've started... I, I, I went to Kink Aware Professionals. Uh, if you don't know about it, you can Google. It's a place to find a therapist or a psychiatrist or even, like, a yoga instructor or whatever who is, like, kink-friendly. Awesome. Yeah. It's a great resource. Um, so I found myself a therapist, and he's... It's the first time I've had a therapist who's also a gay man as well, you know? So... Uh, he doesn't pathologize any of my fetishes at all. He's always like, well, you should stop worrying about that being perverted or whatever because it's just fine. It's just your worry that is the issue. Oh, hallelujah. Yeah. <laughs> but that. Does, but when someone says that, that guy to needs you... needs to teach a seminar to some, <laughs> some of the professionals I've seen. My God. Do you ever get that... Did you ever have a therapist who... 
you're like trying to tell them about your fucking life and you can see the like dollar signs in their eyes because they're like oh I'm gonna write my book and I'm gonna like make oh. my millions off of, off of this person because I've never <laughs> I've never talked to a, a sex worker before I've never talked to a, a gay person who's gay in this way before I've never talked to a polyamorous person before and it's oh, just like oh that's interesting oh god you should be paying me oh yeah oh absolutely yeah the, like yeah no you know the thing about therapy is there so many it's it's kind of like finding a relationship it's, totally. it's like you know there's so many different kinds and you got to be careful um yeah i had the, the one that i mentioned before that also said you know entering a sex club is like entering hell also like toward the end she started falling asleep on me and then <laughs> once i once i woke her up and she said well, clearly, whatever you were doing was, you know, you, the, you, the defense mechanisms of yours were were boring me, I guess. So, so she was blaming me for oh, falling asleep. Man, on me. did they teach, <laughs> they teach that one in in like shrink school? They're like, listen, if you get bored, just use this line. But it sounds like you then found or have found uh, somebody who is not an asshole like that. I have found someone who's really, really supportive and and who is just trying to get me to get over some. Like, for example, I have a couple of fetishes that are uh, a little bit bizarre or taboo or off the beaten track. Uh, but his whole thing is... You've just got to relax about all that and be present to people. And, you know, I think I got very stuck on this whole idea for a long time that you have to find a perfect match, that you have to be like, that someone has to be the, the, the exact same species as you. Right. But I think, in fact, a lot of people, a lot of kinksters probably come together, or just a lot of people probably come together where one person has a fetish or a preference or whatever that doesn't quite match with another's yeah. and they just find a way to deal, yeah. you know? Like, for example, my husband and I, Ariel, we knew that I was the much, much, much more sexually driven guy. Mm. We knew that in our, even though, even though he was the one that said, let's have an open relationship because he had te just taken a bunch of feminism classes. Yes. <laughs> awesome. That's what, you know, th you're welcome. Best thing I'm always saying feminism has if we've done nothing else, it's to spread the idea and the, the encouragement for people to right. ask their spouse for an open relationship. <laughs> That's exactly what happened within like the first few weeks. We were like, because we got very serious very soon. We were just yeah. one of those things where it's like, oh my gosh, I like you. Um and so somewhere in the first month, I would say, he said, it, it seems like we're getting pretty serious into a relationship. And if we are, I think we should discuss on a regular basis it being an open one. You know, yeah. like, like keep checking in. You know, maybe we'll change our mind at some point, but let's keep checking in on a regular basis about that it. sounds very wise. Yeah. What actually did end up happening was that for about the first year, about the first year... Maybe a year and a couple months, we didn't have sex with anybody else. Yeah. Um, then we started to, and yes, indeed, we were regularly checking in about it. Um, 
when we when we finally broke up, it was because we had kind of become more like friends yeah. than like lovers, and also we our lives. Unfortunately, the, the next time I'm in a relationship, I have to like remember it's incredibly important to like be friends with a lot of your your partner's friends too you know oh, yeah. we had totally separate groups of friends yeah and it's good to have both it's good to have your own people that you're like go do your stuff that you guys like to do like yeah like lacrosse or horror movies or like whatever right and then also be able to get along with each other's people and yes. have mutual friends you yes. know I, I feel like that a balance mix. is very important for yeah. sure for sure because our lives kept our life and our careers, our friendships, our careers, everything just started being so separate that we just grew apart. But anyway, after the relationship, I was like, I want that again. I think you know, all relationships are go through some lots of kind of negotiation and feeling things out and. You it's know. a good way to build trust. Yeah. To show each other that you're willing to do something that may not have you may have not have had an instinct for, but that you're excited to explore it. Yeah. Because you care about somebody. I think it's. I my feeling is this. I my my theory is is that if both partners are kind of you know how uh, Dan Savage uses the. GGG. Right. If if both willing, if both partners are kind of game to experiment early on, like, Mm. hey, why don't we try that? You know, just just be a little bit creative in the same way that you want to be a little bit creative in where you're choosing to go on dates. You know what I mean? Hey, let's see jazz tonight, or how about we, you know, go on a hike through whatever. Um, Also, that initial, you know, the like honeymoon period or whatever is when you're both super hot for each other so that would be a good time to be, yeah, like, to be like i like this you know yeah 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 that, I, that another thing is that being the host of risk and being mr come out come out about this that and the other right i do tend to lay out all my cards on the table right from the beginning and that's okay but i think you 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 have to be very you you still have to be careful about it you know you 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 can't let laying out all your cards and saying look i am definitely a polyamorous kind of person and i'm definitely into yada 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 you can't let that turn someone off from you right. you, you you have to like let there be room you know i i i think that i you know when push comes to shove, I'll bet most people do wait a little bit before revealing some of their weirder kinks, you know? You know, it's so interesting what you're saying because I really relate to you as somebody who is who feels most comfortable just wearing my heart on my sleeve yeah. and putting my cards on the table to mix metaphors and, and just being like, hey, this is who I am and you should know and if you don't like it, there's the door. Um, and I've always kind of been that way and, and it served me really well in a lot of ways. Um, but I, I'm trying to be aware of um, the fact that you can allow, as you were just saying, like you can allow things to breathe yeah. and it doesn't necessarily have to be that you are playing hard to get, which is the thing that I've always really hated and yes. wanted to avoid or that you're being coy. Right. Like that you... you um, that you don't 
that, that you can like enjoy some of the like seduction or the mystery yeah. of it um, and that 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 can be an okay thing to play with. Yeah, I think that part of what it is is I think you're absolutely right. Like I've always, you know, like it get, it gets me nervous to hear the whole idea of oh you want to be mysterious, et cetera, et cetera. Because yeah, I'm I'm like I'm not a good first date. That's that I'm one of those people who would rather have sex first mm. and then talk. That's exactly what I was talking about before. That's why I loved you know at like. To have sex with someone and then start, then be like, hey, you want to get dinner? You know <laughs> yeah. what I mean? Because for some reason, for me, that feels so, like, freeing of, because when, I feel like when you go on dates, it, there's a tendency to feel like, oh, we're on an audition. Right, you know? right. But regardless, whether you have sex first or, or later, in the early stages of getting to know someone, maybe it's best not to think of it as deliberately being mysterious or hiding some things. Or withholding, yeah. Right, but letting a person get to know bits of you, you know, because if a person knows, you know, like for example, if I were to sit down on a first date with someone and be like, well, you've got to love pissing in my mouth because <laughs> that I, you know, that I'm I, thirsty. Right, so. right, right. Um, I mean, that doesn't leave the person a lot of breathing space for getting to look, to know, you know, that might turn them off from just getting to know other interesting things about me. And I am... What, what I'm realizing from you saying that is that I almost feel like if somebody said it to me in that way, I would feel like they didn't really want me. They weren't yes. like hot for me to piss in their mouth. They were like, well, this is the thing that I need and I need like you to do it right. for me right. instead of I, I want you to do this and I'm attracted to you. And I think that maybe also that goes back to the thing about your type, right? Like mm -hmm. maybe some some folks would feel like they don't want uh, to be like desirable, like just for being young, yeah. or just for being a certain race, or even just for having like certain kink like compatibilities, mm -hmm, right? Like mm -hmm. we want to be like loved and desired for the individual people that we are, yeah, right? Yeah, absolutely. And I think that in my case, like a lot of the reasons that I'm hung up over some of these preferences of mine is because, like, I think I'm a little bit over 90 days into no alcohol, no pot, and no poppers. Poppers were another thing that I was huge into. Mazel tov. Um, That's really amazing. And I think that, that in, this, in this sober period now, I'm able to look at myself a little bit more clearly and to see that some of being so hung up on all those, here's what I am, here's my type, here's what, you know, I'm worried I'll never find my guy because he's got to be this, that, and the other, was actually out of fear mm. uh, of allowing myself to be a changing person yeah. and meet someone else face to face and allow them to be a changing person. Right, right. Yeah. Uh, can you, I'm realizing maybe that some people listening don't know what poppers are. Can you oh, explain yeah, yeah. what poppers are? Poppers are, in some cases they're amyl nitrates, and in some cases they're amyl nitrites. And in some cases they're neither of those things. They're just pretending to be those things. Like, v, what is it, VHS cleaner? That, yeah, yeah, it's, it's a chemical, it's a liquid chemical that when you sniff it, 
gives you this warm rush of basically like horniness for oh I don't know about a minute yeah and just enough time to get it in yeah oh oh well here's the thing a lot of people think that poppers are all about relaxing the sphincter right the, right uh, because that they have that notoriety. You're right, right. Like that, I've I've worked in like sex shops before where mm-hmm. people are like, "Oh, where do you keep your poppers?" And of course, because they're feminist sex toys stores, we're like, "Actually, like, let me educate you about anal sex and yeah. let me show you the lubes and how you should like relax and go slowly and maybe you don't want to like lose your mind before you start." Anyway, but right, uh, uh, right. so that that's that's their reputation. Yes, yeah. But yeah. you were saying it's it's not so much about physical relaxation and more about like losing your inhibitions i think exactly i well not losing inhibitions it's that there's a there is really kind of like in the same way that when you take a shot of vodka or you um uh like have a hit of off a whippet or something Mm -hmm. like that right it has an instant like whoa i'm kind of blown away with how into you i am right now Mm. it's kind of this warm and fuzzy Ah, animalistic, horny feeling. So, yes, guys, if if you go to a, a, a gay cruise area or a gay sex party or something like that, guys are doing are sniffing poppers who are not engaging in anal sex. They're just doing it because it's a it, it, it's a turn on. And for me, it became just so it just became habitual and it becomes really kind of like embarrassing when you're in bed for example and you're reach you're like where are the poppers where are the poppers where are the poppers every five minutes because they've gotten lost in the covers right it just begins to be like really apparent that you're psychologically addicted to this shit right it's not helping you stay present to the person you're with you know like my 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 therapist would say it's almost as with as if you're having sex a little bit more with the pot and the poppers and the alcohol right. than with the person that you're with. I've had that experience. I had one client, alcohol client, who um, he was a doctor, clearly from his apartment, very wealthy doctor, and he got into that state where in order and ordinarily I would be like not allow that or any more than like a glass of wine in a session mm-hmm. but he was hosting and I was kind of like all, all right dude like you know but he 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 did get into it's what I always think about when I think about poppers was this person who in order to allow himself to submit and to do the things that we were doing he just you know it's one thing to be like I'm gonna like take this shot or I'm gonna like smoke this joint or whatever but he would just start to panic as he would start to come down and even when we would be like in the middle of a scene and he would be like where are they where are they where are they and uh and i after a while i was like you're actually like i'm not i'm not playing at feeling disgusted by you right now i'm like actually disgusted by you and that Mm. that's a limit for me because like that's not what i'm being i'm not being hired to actually be disgusted yeah uh by you that's that's my own like sort of code it's like we can play at that because we're grown-ups uh and as somebody who is actually kinky like i feel you know i i feel like uh i know how to i love getting people to that state you know i love getting to that state myself either as a top or as a bottom but like if somebody 
again, it's like they don't even care that it's me. I might as well be a robot. Right, right. And, you know, I look forward to the time when that guy can afford a robot to do that for him right. because, you know, that's probably, that's like a few years down the line probably. Yeah, and that'll be, that'll be good because it's a waste of my time it's is how too, I felt. It's too clearly a crutch. Yeah. I had some guys criticize me about it too, saying you rely on enhancement too much is the way a guy put it, you yeah. know, and I knew what he meant. Yeah. yeah. That, um, that, that allowing things to evolve naturally yeah. is hindered when you're grabbing for some substance every few minutes. And the thing that actually really struck me when you were describing the... I I've, have not done uh, poppers very much in my life or um, uh, nitrous, like whippets, very much uh, either, but I do know the feeling and hearing you describe it just kind of made me think about the fact that that, that is like my goal from that's what I would like to get out of sex that feeling anyway or kink or like a kink scene right. would like to feel that like animalistic like primal rush and that like glowing warm feeling and oh you, absolutely and, and it's almost like you can't again I'm not a teetotaler and I totally think that if people like can lubricate in moderation to get in the mood that that's something that I endorse and that I enjoy but if you if you can't trust that you can get there with your own consciousness and your own body and your own intimacy and interaction with that person. Oh, absolutely. Then that's, I mean, I'm not going to be like critical or judgmental. Like you were saying that that guy was like, Oh, well, it seems like you need a lot of enhancements. Like, you know, we have to be sensitive to one another. Nobody's, nobody's perfect, but it does seem like the point is to, maybe try to find a more sustainable way to get it and luckily sex can be that oh yeah oh I, absolutely yeah the, the, it, and that's another reason that I think it's so important to to if if not find a significant other but to play with partners yeah. who are willing to try things like try new things or or experiment because the two of you might not even know how trying a certain thing might get you into a headspace that's, you know, much better yeah. than, say, the experience of, like, 60 seconds of feeling stoned on poppers. You yeah. Know? yeah. Yeah, for sure. Oh, I did want to ask you... You had so many amazing New York stories. I wonder if you have had experiences... I feel like... New York is such a notorious cruising zone for many uh, for many reasons, but have you had experiences cruising in other places where you had like culture shock? Oh, you know, it's interesting. I have not done so much. I mean, I went to Amsterdam and had a lot of fun over there. Now, this was in the age of Grindr, right. you know? Uh, where which has totally changed. Yeah, where where, where you sure. can literally just like, um, but no, I, and in San Francisco once I was in some sort of forest in the bright broad daylight. <laughs> uh, I was on LSD 
Maybe uh, Golden Gate Park? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. yeah. Is, is that, is that, that, yeah, yeah, that, yeah. that would definitely that would, be it because we, we, yeah. And that uh, would also be a place that you would be on LSD. <laughs> yes. That's where we got, Golden Gate Park is where we got the LSD. And I think the first place we ended up was in these, I don't, it kind of felt like Alice in Wonderland uh-huh. uh, of these little like uh, lanes of bushes and stuff uh-huh. like that with people popping in and out. And I think that it was a little bit just in that early LSD is starting to hit state. I think that me and my friends were all like, oh, we should be somewhere that's not so, you know, mysterious right now. Right. <laughs> did you did you see, watch the, the show Looking uh, that was on HBO? No, I've never seen it. Uh, I mean, we, we could have a pop culture critique of, of that show but I, I gotta tell you because you know it's about gay men in, in San Francisco um, and uh, the very first scene of the pilot which is the only episode I watched because I was so bored by the end I was like this is a, not a story I care about like these like affluent white guys in San Francisco and like right. snore but the first scene which encapsulated I think my whole issue with the show is the uh, protagonist is is cruising in like the part of the woods of Golden Gate Park that's oh. like notorious for cruising and he like this guy they, you know they do the, the eye the eyeing each other thing and then looking at the crotch and looking back up at the eyes and then they start kind of like approaching each other and he he's like wait can I What's your name? Like, and like, kind of tries to like, all of a sudden act like he's on a date with him, and the guy's like, "What's your problem, man?" And just walks away. Uh, <laughs> and the guy's like, "Man, cruising sucks." Basically, is like his attitude. And I was like, "Is this this is what this show is going to be like? That this is what it's like for gay men now? They like don't even have a sense of their like cultural history of cruising that they." It is really interesting. I think, I think, I mean, you know, exactly what you just said. Like, all the advertisements I saw on the show, it looked like everyone was white, which yeah. I'm like, that's not San Francisco. No. And also, yes, uh, who cares if everyone's, you know, affluent, you know, I mean, or, or, or everyone's like gorgeous or whatever. You know what? Like, like, yeah. It would be interesting to see a show about real people. Yeah. Um, but anyway, yes, I, I think that that you're you're very true. You're very right that a lot of because I'm so attracted to younger guys. Yeah. Um, Did that start happening at like a certain? Well, point? you know, it's interesting because it's kind of like I was attracted to guys my own age all throughout my childhood, and then. You got older and they just stayed the yeah, same. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like once I hit my twenties. It's just, well, thank God I did not remain attracted to guys under, you Right, know, Humbert, Humbert style. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, at, at a certain point, like in my 20s, I just continued being attracted to guys who were like in their early 20s. And and honestly, I, I, I would, that's another one of the, the, the thing about some of my preferences is, if I had a switch and I could say, okay, I'm done with that preference, I would get rid of it because it's, right. it's not convenient. Right. You know, I mean, it, it is, there is truth to the whole idea that age is just a number. Um, I mean, there are some young guys who are incredibly mature and there are some sure. older guys who are incredibly immature. But, you know, the, 
by the numbers, there's usually big differences in people according to ages. And yeah, yeah I do feel a, a little bit like uh, younger guys, younger gay guys nowadays, don't know so much about like, you know, I don't know, the history of BDSM and leather, cruising, the history of like AIDS and, and how uh, well all fight of against the, it. all of our elders died. Died, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, we're having like a cultural crisis right now because yeah. of that. But, yeah. I mean, I think a lot of people are aware of that and are really working hard to to figure out how to make sure that we're creating that history. But I do think that a lot of really young people, I'm being, this is my old queen mode, like a lot of young people do take it for granted. Yeah. You know, and interestingly, like some of the guys that I work with um, who are really young, you know, they use grinder, and like I think using grinder is great, but also like it's in- it's amazing to me to think that you would have always had grinder since you were a teenager, right, right, and like to not have a sense of the ability to to do that dance that you've been describing that, that, of intuition, you know, because it seems to me that that in, in my experiences with like flirting and, and cruising, which are obviously like culturally different being a woman, but, um, uh, you know, I've been in a lot of queer spaces that are, um, that are similar to what you're describing. Maybe not like central park in the middle of the night, but more like the, um, the parties and, uh, I feel like, yes, it, it, uh, what the internet can do to connect us is amazing, but um, so much of like the, the physical and psychological reaction I have is that, is that intuitive moment, or, or like you were even saying, like animalistic moment, and, and that you don't, you don't get that when you, use the, when you use the computer. It's true. I am a writer, so I love texting. I that's love, a good I, call. I, I, yeah, I, that's I, a good point. Yeah, I love, I like I, that, that social anxiety that I always felt at the bars, I don't feel as much when I approach someone over Grindr and everything, but I'm very keenly aware of the language that has arisen on, you know, thank God we got rid of people saying no fats, femmes, or Asians. Did, like did, we long... get, did we get rid of that? Well, I think for the most part, I see it a lot more rarely now than years ago. I mean, it's become no fats, no femmes, no Asians has become like its own like joke. I mean, joke about like a crisis. Right, right, that, right. That, that's like a very common thing that people would say right. on, on Grindr. Um, there are guys who will on Grinder say the, the whole top bottom thing. Like it doesn't right. it doesn't leave room for. And so I think a lot of young guys, you know, in their teens, picking up Grinder are learning about gay culture only from the way that that these things are working. You know, I'm a total top. I'm a total bottom. A lot of uh, I have to explain to a lot of guys. Oh, you know, there's all kinds of in-between space, yeah. you know. It's and, being versatile. Yeah, and it's not... And also, just this whole idea of, like, there's more to being sexual than a penis into an orifice. Like, there are other things that can turn you on or be fun or even make help you to achieve an orgasm, whatever. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's interesting that to think that people would be getting all of that cultural knowledge from a space where because you're behind this digital wall of anonymity, you feel free to sort of 
uh, say maybe the like baser things. I'm not even talking about being politically incorrect. I'm talking about like, you know, saying really hateful things that you might not say in a bar. You oh, know, yeah. that you're like socialized, like not to be a racist asshole in a bar, but you're like, oh, well, I can be a racist asshole, like on this Oh, app. God, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. Like, especially um, because I date so many Asian guys, like, I've seen people say horribly hateful things uh, where I'm it's sure. just like, wow, what on earth? Yeah, and, and what's so funny about it is it's often the person who first approaches. You know, and, and, then, right. and then, you know, not so much interest is shown, and then all of a sudden just a tirade of oh. racism comes out. God. Um, but no, but yeah. There, but it's what you're saying about texting is, is really interesting. Yeah, like my first, there's a story that I tell on Risk, it's called Beyond Kink Camp Part 1, is the first really amazing BDSM experience I had. I met a guy on FetLife. And the two of us were texting and, and being on the phone with each other for about five weeks before we met face to face. And when yeah. we finally met face to face, that was when he tied me up and I submitted to him and everything. Um, but the, the texting and the phone calls we had done were so creative mm. and so... Uh, imaginative and just we were having great very interesting get to know you conversation and I think that that's way too rare people don't use these communication tools to mm. actually communicate and yeah I think I mean I honestly like when I sobered up I took most of those apps off my phone mm. because it's very hard not to adapt to what the mainstream is doing and just yeah. to be like, oh, if... It, 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 like, like, the thing that bewilders me the most is you start a conversation where this person seems interested, you seem interested, then you just ask a question like, oh, I don't know, like, what part of town do you live in? And that's the end of the conversation. Like, like, right. And you know it's simply because this tool is so distracting right. that I guess someone more attractive came along. You know, yeah. you thought you had a nice little conversation going, there's no goodbye, it's yeah. just gone. Yeah. <laughs> well, I, I wrote a, a book um, about uh, sexting etiquette that's coming out next year. So, oh. so hopefully that book will change all of that <laughs> people will feel wrapped on the wrist by me and then they'll start to be kinder yeah um but uh yeah that's interesting so um i'm trying to uh uh, walk it back and remember what we were talking about when we started talking about it. oh I was asking if you have had like cultural differences in like cruising in other places you were talking about Amsterdam oh um, there I ended up going to a, uh, a club that was uh, another one of these like saunas you know yeah like a bathhouse yeah 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 and uh, it was fun it was definitely fun i was in i was amazed by how gigantic it was yeah there were several floors all kinds of different rooms it was like a, a wonderland yeah. yeah so yeah that was fun uh, you know no I, the truth is i haven't done a ton of cruising 
outside of New York City. It's interesting. I mean, since I've become a touring, uh, you know, since I've, I take risk out on the road all the time, I have met a lot of guys through the apps, through Grindr. Re- what a lot of people don't know, speaking of history, Recon, uh, which is the gay app for kinky guys, right. is the first of all of those apps. It precedes Grindr. Um, and and it's it's kind of fascinating to see for me to watch how recon goes through phases where some of what are the taboos in BDSM are able to be spoken of or not able to be spoken of or or you know those spaces in BDSM where like dominant energy people like are kind of asshole-ish and feel free to be that way. I've, I've heard of this phenomenon. <laughs> yes. Yes. It's like, okay, we're not done negotiating yet, so you're not my master. Yeah, yeah. Until we press go. I, I've said this so many times that I wish Recon would add a discussion board. Interesting. A, 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 like a place where the community can talk not j- j- like Fet Life, and now I guess a couple other places. I think some people are a little fed up with Fet Life at this point because of whatever uh, uh, bullying and that kind of thing. That, no, that goes it's on. inevitable. Yeah. Yeah, but um, but no, I wish that the gay male community, like, I think Recon would be the perfect place to like. Yeah, add that, you know, hey, we're all meeting at such and such a bar, you know, who's interested in this fetish? Let's talk about it. Yeah, yeah. Instead of just all hooking up. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, so I've tried to do that uh, 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 my own, actually. I've put together parties uh, in Chelsea for not not sex parties but social parties like munches right 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 for guys who are into like water sports um one that really was kind of a failure because not enough people showed up but for guys who were interested in hypno play how fun um, yeah 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 um it's interesting i think that hypno play is a little too abstract right like yeah, I, I know. I, I know some. I know some people who are yeah. into it. It's a. I've heard of it a lot as a, a Wonder Woman based fetish. Apparently, uh, uh-huh, uh-huh. I yeah. Which <laughs> which that that helps me to understand oh, oh, it. Oh, I get you. Yeah, yeah. Or like Batman was sometimes. Yeah. Right, right. Well, I mean, it's a. It, yeah, I mean, it's like an interrogation. It makes complete sense to me. It makes complete sense to me. You're like actually not in control of. <laughs> yourself i mean right 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 it's like it's 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 pure psychological bondage i yes, mean like yes. makes sense to me anyway that's a different podcast i guess <laughs> um but would you say so in conclusion would you say that after all of your experiences cruising and how you kind of like came into your adult sexuality and you're like actually like starting to like explore your gay identity and like learning about gay culture like through cruising now you have like different needs and different desires and and have had different experiences do you feel like cruising is still something that like has promise for you in terms of what you want or are you more interested in the going back to what we were saying before like the conversation the like let's fuck and then give me your number and like let's go get dinner i think that i'm hopelessly optimistic you know i think that i'm a person who Yes, might be, you know, for example, might be disappointed in Grinder, but will probably never 
get rid of it in time. You know, it's off yeah. the phone, but it's still somewhere on my computer. Sure. Um, or might be, you know, a little bit fed up with dating younger guys, but will probably, you know, date a younger guy sometime in the future anyway. So, so I think that as far as cruising goes as like a method of maybe meeting people and eventually ending up in a conversation, I know it's happened. I know I've done it before, you know? And so, yeah, I, I think that, I think that at 45, now that I'm sobering up and trying to, you know, kind of work on myself a little bit, I think that all of the things I've tried before sexually and all the things that I'm curious to try in the future sexually, I'm hoping that I can bring those to the table with people in a sort of a, a more relaxed way, a way that doesn't require a lot of crutches or... Yeah drugs and enhancements and and kind of like I, I you know what I think that I'm finding out is that it really and it sounds so cheesy to say but it re it's first and foremost about kind of loving and having compassion for and taking care of yourself um, being okay with who you are yeah. and being so okay with who you are that you're, uh, that you have the magnanimity and the generosity to give someone else the space to be who they are and explore together. So that's what I guess I'm hoping for. I guess I'm hoping to, some of the things that have become fixations, obsessions, crutches, to leave them behind some of the masks that I put on to mm. start to peel them off a little bit and see in this second half of my life uh, what I still want to bring along with me and what I might want to explore as completely new ground. And I think it's, it's, it's all going to really hinge on how comfortable I can become with myself. You know, I think that, I think this entire summer, what I've been focused on is, let's not worry about dating or even hooking up so much this summer. Let's just get healthy yeah. and um, start to feel better about oneself, look at myself. And, and I think that, I think that you put your finger on it. I think that I've got to stop feeling like I know exactly what I want. Yeah because I don't know what I don't know. <laughs> Ain't that the truth? <sighs> well, it sounds like you're in an amazing place. Thank you, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I, I wish you luck, but I think you've, you know, you're on the right track. <laughs> you have my stamp. <laughs> thank you. Um, thank you so much for coming on my podcast. Oh, it's yes. been really cool to like get to know you by talking to you on the podcast oh yeah this is a total joy cool cool okay great well uh so we talked to what's your what's your twitter handle is it at kevin allison oh it's at the kevin allison, the <laughs> kevin allison. and at risk podcast uh at risk show risk show cool yeah. great fantastic well i'm a fan and if uh the listeners are not already i'm sure they will be soon awesome cool okay and this is usually where I would press stop, but it's <laughs> Thank you for tuning in to episode 29. 
follow at Tina Horns S and at Into That Podcast on Twitter. Subscribe and write us a review if you are so inclined on iTunes, Stitcher, or your favorite place to listen to podcasts. And visit wiredpeopleintothat.com to subscribe to our newsletter and listen to our entire archive. Next month, my guest will be Cooper Beckett, author of My Life on the Swing Set. I do think that it's like Pandora's box. (laughs) When you explore Mm non-monogamy, you will fundamentally be changed. Hmm. Either being on board or not. Right, and depending on your experience, probably too. And you are unlikely to vacillate between those two. Interesting, interesting. And, like, I will never be able to be monogamous again. Right, right. Because I've seen the other side of the curtain. Right, right, right. And for some people, and I, I really, I try to make sure that I don't downplay monogamy because for some people for most people monogamy is exactly what they need and exactly what they want and they will be happy like that and that's amazing and good for them yeah and i'm on board with that what what i have a problem with is the people who pretend to be monogamous or think they're monogamous and go through life with loathing right. and with uh and cheating most cheating comes with self-loathing whether you want to admit it or not totally and just because you've never had a conversation or just because you've never even known that it was an option like i wouldn't have known swinging was an option unless my friend had randomly said something as ever why are people into that is produced and hosted by Tina Horn, yours truly. Our theme song is by Pine from Oakland, California. Our website was designed by Justin Levesque, and we are exclusively sponsored by Smitten Kitten, who you can visit at smittenkittenonline.com and get 20% off your order when you enter the code Y. That's W-H-Y. Until next time, I'll be... Wait, what did you say your name was again? Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.